0: 10,
1: it's got the code, it's going to launch. It's a unique system. I know this. <laughs> <laughs> it's all the files of the whole park. It tells you everything. <laughs> Sir, he's uploading
0: the virus. Eagle One, the package being delivered. Hello, out there on the internet. I am Matthew Galt, and this is Cyber room temperature superconductors they're here maybe look science is a liar sometimes especially in the age of the internet motherboard science reporter becky ferrera is here to help us parse the truth from fiction of lk99 it's either one of the biggest science stories of our entire lives or just another one of those science hoaxes that goes viral on the internet and then later in the show joseph cox is stopping by to tell us about another group of researchers who've uncovered a backdoor in police radios but first becky how are you doing today
1: I'm great. I'm great. You're a cat lover, right?
0: Yes, absolutely. They they may wander in at some point.
1: Yeah, likewise. We just had a stray cat have babies in our closet yesterday, so oh my we got goodness. little kittens. In there. So I'm doing really great because I can look <laughs> at really cute little kittens at any point.
0: We had uh, we had quite the saga that I may not recount on on stream. Maybe like six months ago. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. it was right before Christmas where we had a. A stray cat that was wandering—it wasn't a stray. It was a neighbor's cat that was wandering around outside that we like had to take in and rehome. It was a whole. It was a whole thing. Um, so yeah, we've got so many cats wandering around outside that we end up taking I care know. of.
1: I thought you might like, yeah, in particular relate to that because we're out in the country as well, and yeah, it's definitely something. It's our first time with the kittens, but I think this is going to have to be a a thing we're prepared for. Lots of wild ones.
0: Yeah, you know, well, you've got to. You end up having to take kind of care of the neighborhood. It's it's a whole thing. I get it.
1: Yeah. Um, I'm glad that you uh, took in that cat. That's, that's lucky for that cat.
0: Uh, he was so sweet. Anyway, I'll talk. I'll follow up with you.
1: I know. <laughs> this is going to be cat board. <laughs> cat
0: board. People like cat board. Um, yeah, I don't have a good segue to the question of what is a superconductor?
1: <laughs> yeah. Schrodinger's cat. Maybe we could get in there. I don't know. Um yeah, what is a superconductor? It's uh any material that has no electrical resistance inside of it or and also that expels its magnetic fields. It's very peculiar type of material that um that yeah, just is incredibly energetically efficient.
0: What is what's the why okay, let me back up. What do we use them for? Why are they so important?
1: Yeah, well, um, because in electrical systems, there's a lot of uh, inefficiencies was like as the electricity is transmitted, a lot of heat gets lost in it. And superconductors, because there's no electrical resistance at all, they're like really, really efficient. They also create really strong magnetic fields because they expel the magnets from, expel their magnetic field. So um, that's really helpful for things like magnetic resonance imaging, MRI machines um, depend on them. And a lot of like, Uh, components of things like nuclear fusion reactors and particle accelerators that that require these like very unique kind of quantum mechanical properties in there um and then things like maglev trains right there's like based on superconductor technology because of the levitation part of the um of the superconductors properties um and and um, i think in general you know people it's it's a it's a type of technology that can really have applications anywhere because it's basically about making electrical systems much more efficient and making magnetic fields much stronger which has a dizzying number of applications
0: so with that in mind uh this wild thing happened this week um there was yeah. supposedly uh an, a, a new thing called LK99 that is helping to make Room temperature superconductors, uh, why would it be a big deal that there'd be a room temperature superconductor?
1: Yeah, because for, for most of the history of using these, they you need to really cool them down to like extremely low temperatures in order to have their properties, superconductivity achieved, um, which is not very practical um, in scaling up to things. So while they are very important in a lot of technologies, they have their own kind of inefficiency priced in because you've got to cool them down so much. Um, and then since the 80s, there's sort of been a advent of, of uh, high temperature, superconductivity which is kind of a misnomer because it means like anything over minus 200 degrees Celsius is high temperature. (laughs) So it's still like, there still have to be cold, really cold, but it's, um, it's just not as close to absolute zero as it was. So it's made the problem a little bit better. And as you can see where I'm going here, it's like once you get into room temperature stuff, then you don't have to have this contingency of always having to have this whole extra cryogenic system. Um, that's, uh, that that is that is essential to their to their functioning, and it, there's been a couple reports of like promising room uh, temperature superconductivity, but it all it usually requires like really high temp high pressures rather. So like the it's sort of switching out one constraint for another. So it would be really great to get one that's room temperature and works at ambient pressure. And there's as far as I know, no reason to think that that couldn't be possible at some point. It's just like we haven't found the material that has that those properties.
0: So it's this kind of thing where there's this race to make a new version of this technology that would then make the technology like ubiquitous um, and make it cheaper and much more easy to use. And whoever does that, depending on who they are could stand to make a boatload of money. I would assume.
1: Yeah. I don't, I don't know if it would be something that would be centralized that way. Cause I think that it, it would just be, So it would be a breakthrough that would have so many different like different applications. I'm not sure how I'm I'm not really good at predicting that side of things, but it would certainly be something that would accelerate all the stuff that superconductors already do for us. And, you know, has all with stuff like climate change, like the gas emissions from electronic systems would go down massively with this. So it has a bunch of like really promising and desirable uh, benefits for sure. So that's why this has been, it's, it's been over a century that, that people have been trying to get to that point.
0: So what is LK-99?
1: LK-99 is this lead appetite, uh, material and lead has long been known to be a superconductor, but this is a particular at very cold temperatures. Anyway, this, this one has a little, uh, copper inclusion. and um, <clears throat> the material is named after the two researchers that they're on this new paper. We'll talk about um, two of the there, there's a couple others, but the two main ones, uh, Lee and Kim, that's the LK, and they started working with this material in 1999. so that's like the origin of the name. And it's was reported in a preprint paper two weeks ago that they had finally achieved like a room temperature ambient pressure um, superconductor with this material.
0: And with the part of, I think this thing kind of took the internet by storm or certain parts of the internet by storm this week in part because of some videos, right? Can you kind of describe the videos for us?
1: Yeah. So there was a video in the preprint that showed like the levitation effect of this. And um, you know, those are all like, that's that's in a lot of super conductive like studies. Right. So it's like, but it's cool and it looks interesting. And then um, because of the claims of the paper, it kind of exploded into a, uh, let's, let's like replicate these results. And so a lot of people were filming like how to replicate the experiment because the actual substance isn't really that exotic. Like it's, um, it's one of the reasons I think it will be exciting to see in the next weeks. I think it's, it's going to be pretty easy for most labs to replicate the way that they, they did It's um, most labs will have these materials. And, um, so there's just like a bunch of people experimenting in a bunch of like videos of like the levitation effect and stuff like that. And it's, it's cool, but it's not, that's not novel.
0: So yeah, if anyone has seen this week, uh, kind of scrolling through there, it's, it's usually like a round cylinder and there's like a little piece of metal, uh, that kind of floats. That yeah. is, that's what's going on here. People have thought they, people have they think they have discovered a new material, uh, that will make your MRIs much cheaper. We hope. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: your maglev trains run really well and all that, yeah.
0: Do you do you buy it?
1: No, no, definitely not. I, not that I would say, you know, in your intro, like, I don't even know that this is science is a liar. This is just like science is very clunky. <laughs> but I, I think, um, you know, uh, until there is an institutional lab, and there will likely be several in the coming weeks, that has a confirmed result, I don't think you can really take a preprint's claims seriously. And, and, and to, to their credit, I don't think the, the authors are, think that either, really. Um, I think that they've, they've made some statements kind of clarifying some of the loose points in their preprint. And to be clear, a preprint study is not peer reviewed. It's just something they put on the archive, like website where these things go, that sometimes will sci- scientists will put them on there um, if they think their result is important, just to be like, kind of get, get like a informal peer review going on. And that's that's sort of the process that you're seeing happening here. Um, so it's yeah. kind
0: of, so it's the, well, tell us a little bit more about, um, the people behind the study.
1: Yeah. I want to s- just get the, the attribution, right. Cause they are a team that's been working with these materials for a long time. They're, uh, Ooh. yeah. A team of South Korean scientists. Most, most of them are based <laughs> at this startup called quantum energy research center in Seoul. And, um, yeah, I, I don't, I haven't interviewed them myself and I'm sure they are incredibly, Swamped and like the you know this whole situation is evolving, but um but they've they've worked out with this material for over twenty years, so it's not like they're um like amateurs publishing this or anything, but it's a big claim to make, especially in a preprint
0: so the the situation is kind of they think they've discovered something, they have video of it ra- because it's such a big deal rather than kind of sit on it and go through the peer review process they did a, they did a public publication and have kind of invited the scientific community across the world to confirm mm-hmm. it early essentially
1: i'm not sure what their motivations are because i haven't talked to them but I, okay. I do know that is like one reason why scientists will sometimes do a preprint is that almost to be like this is this would be a big deal I, we should get the news out as fast as possible um And I think maybe there will be discussions about whether that's the best way to go, considering, like, the storm that got kicked up here.
0: Well, let's talk about that storm then, because this, like, (laughs) flooded scientific spaces this week. Um, Why do you think that it caught on, and, like, why do you think the information spread so quickly and people were kind of obsessed with it?
1: I – there's – I don't fully know. I think one thing honestly is that the name is cooler than pastimes. It's not the first time someone has claimed this or like or at least said that there's a promising result like this. But I think people were like, LK ninety nine. And like that's part of it, honestly. It's 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 like really sounds cool. And then I don't know if it's just like a special moment, like I there should be studies on what ignites a media storm, right? Because Mm -hmm. that's, I think a lot of scientists were confused that in this field, why previous claims that this is not the first team to make a claim like that. And why didn't those go viral in the same way? I don't know if it's like something where there's, the structure of Twitter has changed in some way in the last year, and that has made it even more intense. There's certainly been these moments in the past where stories that were not fully reported out got out. But there's also like, one thing that's been really gratifying using Twitter as a science reporter in the last 10 years or so, like when really good verified news does get out, I will always remember, for instance, the time the black hole picture dropped in like 2018 or 2019, right? When the first picture of a black hole, that was like one of my best days reporting because everybody loved the hole. Everybody loved the hole. <laughs> it was not controversial. There's a couple of people that are like, let's blow up the hole. That's it. But it was like, you know, it was just a great moment of just like, this is how really exciting engagement should work on social media. It was, an, you know, a huge effort, accredited an institution. They were ready to publish at that time. And then everyone was just like, oh, this is really cool. And nothing wrong with that. But yeah, I think that there is just like, one part of me that empathizes with why, I, and is glad that there's like so much attention because it does mean that people care about it. And I think that's incredibly important. And to see people's enthusiasm is great. It's just like, I I think um, it's important to, like, you know, the institutional peer review has its its problems, but it is the process that delivers valid news most of the time, right? So, and that, it hasn't done it this time. And I think people, you know, Superconductor also sounds cool. It's just, like, you know, um, a bunch of things going together um, with a couple of people who made, like, who had viral tweets that made, I think, it kind of pop into a new realm. Um, Who
0: had the viral tweets? Pardon me. Who had the viral tweets?
1: There was one guy named Alex Kaplan who uh, I think has a physics background, but is not a, a physicist at an institution. Now he does something else, and he was just like you know really excited and talking, and, and you know he he did a he was hyping it, and people like started glomming onto it, and then um, uh, I'm not sure. There was another viral tweet that was um, that kind of happened this week where a one of the a scientist we interviewed, Sinead Griffin, had, had done a like theoretical study, um, no experimental follow up, just a theoretical study of the properties of this material. And she did like the Obama mic drop um, GIF with it. And honestly, I think like that stuff is kind of interesting because that I think people took that as like, it's valid, it's not what she was saying, but they saw the picture and didn't read her, her thread, right? And they thought that she was saying, like, yep, yeah, it's room temp- temperature superconductivity which she found no evidence of that. Like, um, so, um, so yeah, I think that there was like this really complex stew of that kind of stuff going on. Um, and people, I don't know if it's just like, people are kind of just really eager for something to simplify a lot of these complex problems or something. I mean, understandably. So yeah. Um, a lot of drivers kind of Beat,
0: Beatmaster and chat had an interesting point. Uh, people are hungry for science news that's not related to AI. I think that's probably oh, that's part nice of it too. Idea. Yeah. It's yeah. like the only advances we, we hear about seemingly anymore is that large language models have upgraded or have gotten stupider um, in, in uh, another, another rocket exploded on a launch pad, something else failed. We're doomed. This, yeah. this, yeah. I think that's part of it too, is like this felt like it was possibly good science news.
1: Oh, yeah. And, and that's another reason why I feel conflicted about even like criticizing the hype too much. Obviously, the hype is over, it, it went way over. <laughs> too much hype. <laughs> but, but like it is, it comes from a place of, uh, uh you know, deep, um, feelings of wanting to see a brighter future and this that's what this type this type of research is all about and so it's like i completely empathize with that um and there's so it's it's hard to report good news a lot of the time um or even like just even with ai and stuff or or climate change you can have good news stories in there but it's just like in a complicated nuanced morass of the larger you know trends of those fields and this is just like yeah like our energy could system could be way better, way cleaner. I mean, who wouldn't be excited about that?
0: So, do you think also that it's because there was a visual component? I think that might be part of it too. Like with the hole, yeah. you had a picture of the hole. Here we've got video of a floating object.
1: Yeah, totally, totally. And like I said, that's not that's not even evidence necessarily of like superconductivity. That's not that that's that's a thing superconductors do for ages so it's it's cool and i think people should be totally excited about it but it's like not novel um and then i think also we're i, th- I think we're gonna touch about on this a bit too the fact that because the materials that are in this in this lk99 thing are so easily attained there's a lot of diy and hobbyist attempts to do this like in kitchen chemistry and like garage chemistry kind of um hobbyist ways and that pictures from those i mean i got i got sucked into that i was because i don't have any background in this kind of thing um and it, i don't even know how you would start to be like i'm going to synthesize this material and then test it for conductivity so i was like what are these people doing because like there's just so many we, we have a couple in our article that we that we throw to um and, um, you know, you had everyone from people doing it in their homes to people who were doing it in, in labs that were analogous to this kind of research, but not quite. So it's like you had scientists that were, had closely connected research, but were kind of moonlighting in their labs doing this. Um, and so, yeah, then it just became like a visual story. And then, and then of course, the, the memes and the jokes pile on with people being like, here's my, you know, kid's uh, slide. And, and this is an example of superconductivity or whatever. Like, <laughs> like so it just became like a pile on.
0: Yeah, I think that was a big part of it too. Was this the, the participatory element?
1: Yeah, was, you totally.
0: know, and uh, it's like even if you're making a fake version of that video, it's fairly easy to do. You know, I, I remember uh, like ex- experiments I would do as a kid where you have like the you have got like the magnet. And you've got the paper clip with a piece of like string attached to it and you're making it float these kinds of things. It's not super hard to do and like get a video out that looks kind of like what they're talking about doing. Um, Turn that out, get a, get a lot of engagement online, have some fun, have some fun. Yeah. Right.
1: Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think it's an exciting and compelling idea that someone would be the first to replicate this in their own home but when we talked to scientists like they were like there's almost no chance that that would happen even if it would happen the results could not were compromised by the environment that you know it was it was done in so but uh, you know there's that eureka moment idea that we all have in our heads that's not really how it works most of the time and I think people wanted to see someone be like here's this superconductor I made in my fridge or something like that's <laughs> uh, again
0: Everyone, you know, everyone wants to be the boy that built the nuclear bomb in their backyard, yeah. right? The Boy Scout. Oh, God. It's a good story. Oh, yep. that, that's a good story. We should we should do that on cyber at some point. Um, uh, anyway. Uh,
1: no, it's true. And I think that's true because you do, sometimes it is true that someone does discover something in their backyard, right? Like, so it's not unprecedented or anything, but yeah.
0: So not you, this time. You did talk to, you and Jordan Pearson uh, co-wrote a story about this where you kind of were tracking things down. What did, what did scientists say about the possibility of this, uh, what they think replication is going to look like, what the pitfalls of all this might be?
1: Yeah. So um, the superconductivity community is already like a little skittish about this kind of thing because they've had, they've been kind of burned on this before. Like there was a 2020 study in Nature that reported promising results for a room conductor supercondu- superconductor that that um was had to be retracted and and the team like has done a paper since that was it's not like it was totally um totally bunk or anything but it was just like it had to be retracted because of data reporting errors and um so that was like a whole snafu and stuff so I think they're really like um obviously everybody wants this to be true but they They're trying to like communicate that the paper has some major flaws, which even the the authors say it's a preprint. It um, you know, uh, like it's not likely to it, it it will be replicated fast. but I think probably one of the reasons you're not even seeing like a lot of scientists and institutions coming out yet is just like they really want to be so sure now that they have all of the information about this. like and every little detail so that when they do go to press, like they'll have all the answers to what people are going to be asking. So, um, so they're basically saying it's probably not a room temperature superconductor because like, that would be just the odds are against that for most, you know, that's, that's unfortunately the fields you crossed a bear, but, um, but yeah, I, I think uh, we'll see a lot more clarity on it in the coming weeks. I think there was already a, p- a study that that found that it was superconductive at low temperatures, but that's like, you know, whatever lots of things are. <laughs> so um, that's that's sort of like what what they're going through right now. And I think um, there's probably a lot of results already in at this point, but they just want to be so so sure before they go out with anything.
0: And your sense uh, is that this is not like a deliberate hoax on the part of the LK99 people, but perhaps an error in data or something like that.
1: I doubt it. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I haven't talked to them again, so I don't know. I know, I think there's um, probably gonna be some evolving drama with the team and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I don't know why. I don't think anyone who's been in the superconductivity field or in condensed matter physics would think that this would pass muster. Like I, they're experienced enough to know that, you know, it would it's it's it would need to be peer reviewed and stuff like that. So um, I think this might be just like a very unc- unforced error, honestly.
0: Um. So we are not experiencing a wonderful science and technological breakthrough. You bring is what you're saying.
1: I mean, probably not. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't mean it won't happen, though, right? Like, right. A lot of scientists are still being very provisional and they're saying, look, it, it could happen, but like, you just can't take one study like this, um, you know, for, especially for something that would be this much of a breakthrough, you know? Um, and like I said, they, they have a history of this kind of thing. Like, they're, they're kind of jaded about it. So, yeah.
0: if, I, if I can pivot kind of towards the end of our conversation here mm-hmm. into more of a meta conversation, uh, yeah. you're a great science writer. Um, A lot of science writing is very bad, uh, and it kind of has the peril of getting swept up in these kind of mass movements and writing the headline wrong so that somebody does a study about chocolate, and then the headline comes out (laughs) that chocolate makes you immortal. How do you think that we avoid – how do we do better at communicating science news while still keeping people excited?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I will. I think if you're honestly like these stories that over push the results or try to hook the results to something that is like in, in popular culture, I get the impulse. I have like my foundational story about this is when I started reporting like t- 10 years ago. This must be one of the first stories I ever reported. A scientist had managed to get a, a cell to laser. They'd put a laser in a cell for like optical medical technology. And the editor wanted me to ask, does this mean we can shoot lasers out of our eyes? And I, that's sort of like what I hate is that that's, this is a person. And, and I was, I was young and I did ask that question and they're good sports. Right. But that it's like, that's not what the story is. This person is trying to relieve real people's real pain with an advanced technology. <laughs> like they're not, they're not trying to make Cyclops. Like, um, so I, th- and so I think that there's, and, and it, there's there's it's not like you can't use pop culture or something like that to hook it to. It's just like when that's not the story, that's not the lead. Like we did a story a couple of weeks ago that was about medals that could heal themselves. And you're not going to write a story without some reference to T-1000. I'm sorry. It's, <laughs> no, I, there's a T-1000 reference in it, but it's not on the headline. Right. Like right. It's, it's just um, that's just not what the team is doing. And so I think it's like a question of really, I think, writers and re- and, and their editors being clear on what like the story is and how it's going to be um how it's going to be put out into the world and just resisting the urge like it's not um i think i think writers who do these kinds of stories would say like well a bunch of eyeballs got on my story for the real scientific story right like and i just kind of feel like that's i think our audience is honestly a lot smarter than that like they're they're, they're interested in the actual story you don't need to package up a story like that like it's a lot of the time, this you know, I think the self-healing metal is cooler than the T-1000, right? Like, this is real, and they did it, and this you know, like, you don't necessarily have to, like, force-feed people little morsels of, like, sensationalized content for them to be interested in it. I get emails all the time from people just being like, that's so cool, I didn't know that, about just very standard reporting on a science breakthrough. That's, and, and I think... Um, I honestly think there's like a little bit of wear and tear on that kind of reporting. Like, I think people are bummed out. They, they click the, the, the link. And then you see all the time in like Twitter mentions and things like that. I'm just like, this is not what the story is saying. I, you know, they mm-hmm. feel. Yeah. And, they, rightly. They feel duped, yeah.
0: And like, even if, uh, there's the other level where you know, they, they click and read the story, it's bad. They realize the story is not what it is. And then and they go, if they go then and then pursue the, the scientific study afterwards, it's even worse. It's even yeah. less. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. like the stories are the the scientific studies are often public and the public can go read them you know
1: and should definitely. and should
0: and should yeah. absolutely
1: and um, reporters should read them like that's the biggest <laughs> thing i tell any science reporter who's starting who asks me for advice is like never read just the press release always read the study first
0: and try to talk uh, to the people behind it
1: yeah exactly because mm-hmm. like the press release is is from an institution promoting its own stuff, right? Like the study is what the what they found. And it's very technical language, but it's fun to read. Like there I, there's most studies I read, there's half of it. I'm like, oh, they got into the math here. <laughs> and I'm just like, that's not I'm not doing that. But like their conclusions are easy to read. The abstracts are usually easy to read and discussions and conclusions are are like that's they, they write that to be both for their peers and to be publicly consumed.
0: And I've all, like I've never had a conversation with a scientist that was worth their salt where they didn't try to calm me down or steer me in the correct direction. They are, they're, they are always like, okay, you need to, this is not what actually is going on. It's more limited in scope. It's a very specific thing. They're always trying to tamp down the excitement and communicate what actually is going on. And if you're not, yeah, yeah, if you're not getting that from the expert, be (laughs) wary.
1: Yeah, well, it, like there's a it, when you read these actual scientific papers, there's usually like a couple paragraphs being like, here's the limitations of everything we did. Here's where we could have gone wrong. Here's where the error parameters are. Um, so it's like, yeah, it's never they're not definitive people usually like it takes a lot. Um, most of the studies that that we cover are are big definitive discoveries because it's like takes so much time and they're big news and everything like that. But if you read most studies that come out every week, it's like like is the conclusion of most studies like and they and they're honest about that and i find like they're a really good pop i love interviewing scientists because a they're totally available and passionate and you just email them and they're like oh i'll talk about this with you and um but they but they do like tend to put their own caveats into the what they're saying you know they'll hedge themselves you don't even really have to ask them most of the time like they'll just do it
0: becky i'm gonna let you go and bring on mr cox i hear you've got a book coming out
1: I do. It's called First Contact. It's about the history of aliens, our search for aliens, why we are obs- obsessed with them. Um, and that's coming out in fall 2025.
0: Uh, well, you know that I like to get upset about that topic on a stream. I do. Uh, so
1: <laughs> I like to watch you getting upset about it. It's uh, very good entertainment.
0: Thank you. I really, uh, yours was wonderful too. But yeah, there's a great VOD... Uh, If you're listening to the podcast after you're watching us live on stream now at twitch.tv forward slash vice, where you can hear uh, both Becky and I get pretty impassioned about uh, aliens, the government and science and the science of space in general. You all should definitely check that out. Always wonderful to talk to you, Becky. Thank you so much for coming on to cyber and walking us through uh, LK99. All right, cyber listeners, we're going to pause there between guests. We'll be right back after this. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash
1: upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.
0: All right, Cyber listeners, welcome back. We're on with uh, Joseph Cox now. Joseph, thank you so much for coming on to Cyber and walking us through another topic. Last week, you reported on what is essentially like a backdoor into police radio communications. Is that kind of the the short version of what's going on?
2: Yeah, the short version of it is that there is a standard used for police, military, intelligence, and critical infrastructure radios used by a lot of different organizations uh, for about 20 years. And now researchers have found what they believe is an intentional backdoor into that system. And obviously that has a ton of implications that we'll get into, but yes, the TLDR is that these researchers found what they think is a backdoor in a massively popular um, uh, radio technology used by law enforcement and all of these different other agencies. So this is
0: called Tetra.
2: Tetra is the name of the system, right? Yeah, so Tetra is a standard, and when I say a standard, it's sort of like, not quite a protocol, but it's sort of an agreed series of specifications that are then used by the radio manufacturers. So in this case, the Tetra standard is made by an organization called Etsy, European Telecommunication Standards Institute, something along those lines, if I remember correctly. They they make Tetra. They're like, this is how the system is going to work. And then that gets passed down to, you know, Airbus, Motorola, various other companies that make the actual radios. And they agree to do it all in the same way. Um, you know, so there's continuity, obviously, across the industry. And so people don't have to reinvent the wheel every time. Um, and that's how Tetra ha- became pretty popular because it was used by all of these radio manufacturers. Uh, somebody in chat is making sure that I note that it is
0: encrypted radio. Encrypted being the key word here, right?
2: Yes, yes, it is uh, It is encrypted, so somebody should not be able to sniff the traffic and be able to tell what is being said, uh, obviously protecting the... Integrity of the communications, the backdoor, <laughs> as you might expect, completely undermines that and does provide access to the content of um, communications. So, who uses these communication channels? Who are we talking about as getting sniffed? So, Tetra broadly is used by European police. Um, you know, there's the Dutch, I think, the Swedish the the Finns and various other countries is sort of a uh, the standard for um emergency systems in those countries and others uh and then plenty of agencies overseas i think africom which is obviously a part of the u.s military operating on the continent um i think you also have airports uh in north america uh potentially subways that sort of thing and then even though I just said all of those organizations and entities, there there is a pretty glaring caveat to it, is which is that the backdoor only impacts TEA1, TEA being a specific encryption algorithm. So you have Tetra, and then inside Tetra, there's T1, T3, T4, etc. The backdoor is T1. Um, and even though the... Uh, research has found also uh, issues with T3, that wasn't a backdoor. The reason I bring that up is because not everybody at the same time uses T1. Mm -hmm. This is quite complicated because this standard is so old now. It's been around for two decades. So not everybody has been using the same encryption at the same time across two decades. But the implication is still that within those 20 years, plenty of agencies have been using this backdoored encryption um, at some point in time, maybe they're not using it right this minute, you know, but maybe they used it ten years ago, and that's still an issue.
0: So it sounds like you just switch to T two, it's fine. Then you don't you just don't use T one,
2: right? You don't use T one. You get rid of the back door. You move up to T three. There are other issues like de anonymization. Uh, I think some historical decryption attacks, which are a little bit harder. Um, but patches have been issued for them. Now, of course, you have, let's say you're a police officer uh, or you're running a part of a law enforcement agency. And you're like, well, we don't need to worry about it because now the patches have been done. Well, you as the end user are going to have to make sure that your radio is made by Molto- Motorola or whoever are going to be updated. This is not as simple as, oh, my Windows gaming PC told me to update to windows 11 or whatever you have to presumably take the radios plug them in reflash them whatever the mechanism is um but it's it's not as straightforward as getting an iphone update i'll say that and it's kind of on the individual end users and the radio manufacturers to make sure the patches are being uh, rolled out and installed you know and we don't know about that yet because of course different agencies could take a different amount of time
0: so who discovered this? Who are the researchers
2: that figured this out? So the researchers behind this are um, a few researchers from a cybersecurity company called, I think, Midnight Blue. They've done other cryptographic stuff before. They're not cryptographers, as in they're not entirely focused on specifically cryptographic algorithms, even though that obviously touches on this. They are security researchers more generally and reverse engineers. So we'll get into how they did it exactly shortly. But generally speaking, they reverse engineer how security systems work. They figure that out, and then they find issues. Of course, now what will be great as the research is public is if uh, more specialized cryptographers come in and then look at the underlying cryptography uh, as well. But they're a a group of very well-respected cybersecurity researchers spoke to multiple outside um, experts who, you know, attested to the quality of their work. So these aren't nobodies, no. And this is being presented a black hat um, shortly, you know, I think in a few days, right? Right. Uh, Which is not to say you should just appeal to authority. You absolutely should not do that. And we did go through other steps of, you know, going to Etsy or, or the European Standards Institute and various companies and verifying it that way. So this is this is real. <laughs> it's not made uh, totally out of thin air, but it's an exceptionally complicated thing to verify for the researchers and for the journalists. Well, the company did say
0: that this research was valid and real, but they, they pushed back against calling it a backdoor, right?
2: Yes. And this is why, in the article and at the top of this conversation, I very explicitly said the researchers believe they have found what they say is an intentional backdoor. Um, maybe it will help if I actually explain what the backdoor is mm-hmm. exactly on a technical level. So usually when you use a tetra-powered radio with TEA1, there is a, a key of 80 bits. This is pretty robust. like It's going to be hard to brute force that. What the researchers found... Is what they call an intentional reduction step, where you go through a few different steps and that allows the key to be much, much lower in value and in quality and in entropy. And that makes it a lot harder, uh, sorry, a lot easier to uh, brute force and get access to the communications. Now, they think that's an intentional backdoor. When you go to ETSI, they say, no, it's not a backdoor, but it does. But it was designed with national security agencies to be in line with export regulations. Um, <laughs> they're basically the same thing, you know. Obviously, yeah. I'm speaking a bit more colloquially now. Like this is not how I phrase it in the article, but sort of they're they're they're, phrase, they're, they're framing the same thing in, in, in different ways. Obviously, right. the research says intentional backdoor. ETSI is like we did this to comply with export regulations, which is interesting because when you look at which countries and agencies were more likely to have TEA1, the backdoored encryption algorithm, it was a lot of foreign countries.
0: So it sounds like uh, the researcher saying, like, hey, there's a backdoor on this house. You go and talk to the people that built it, and they're like, actually, to comply with local regulations, we have to put an aperture on the back of this home to make sure that people can go in and out. Essentially, yes, that's right? a
2: perfect. That's a perfect analogy. Exactly, especially because you're literally using like a door. Yeah, is it, 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 exactly that. It's the same underlying technical issue or design, but they are conceptualizing it in in different ways. Yeah, and what
0: this means uh, in in the real world is that people who are aware of this of what the researchers call a backdoor could then breach the communications, listen in on them. Like what, if somebody, anybody who is aware of this uh, vulnerability, let's say, can do what exactly?
2: They can, as far as I understand it, listen to communications. They can decrypt what is being said across these radios, which obviously is a massive issue if you are a police force. And let's say you're trying to Protects the integrity of your investigation before you go and raid a suspect, or maybe you're working in a European port where there's a ton of cocaine coming in and you're trying to track down which shipment to go after. These are speculative examples. I'm just saying how it could be potentially used. Or... If you're using the radios in the context of critical infrastructure and you are a security team at a nuclear power plant or another piece of critical infrastructure, you don't really want your communications to be intercepted because you are a very, very attractive target to, to nation states, to criminals, potentially to terrorists. Although, you know, I, I wouldn't put it I wouldn't necessarily bank on them having the technical sophistication to do this, but nation states, absolutely.
0: So, and we know that this, I mean, the, the company said that, that it is intentional, the existence of this uh, backdoor. We'll just say backdoor. I'm just going to say backdoor from, yes. from now on. The, 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 the implementation of this is intentional, and it appears to be they're kind of talking around because there are laws in certain places where there needs to be a backdoor for law enforcement. Correct.
2: Yeah, they will argue that to comply with export regulations, which regulate the strength of the cryptography you're allowed to export, to sort of put it in layman terms, that they they can't ship something that's like crazy, crazy powerful. And they would argue that, well, the way this was designed complies with those laws. Now, you know. Why those laws exist and why national security agencies would have interest in that is sort of a second degree thing, which I don't really get into the article because, you know, I I would only really want to do reporting on that and... But if people are interested, uh, Kim Zetter, who has uh, written for Motherboard, and you know she's uh, an incredible cybersecurity journalist, she also did the same story, because this was heavily embargoed among a select few journalists, and maybe we'll talk about the disclosure process in a minute. But she did a really good interview with ETSI, basically being like, is this a backdoor or not? So I recommend people go read that as well. We unfortunately just didn't have time to get around to doing that sort of thing. Um but yes, why this exists is for the export regulations. Why that would be beneficial to agencies? You have to speculate a little bit and be like, well, to intercept communications. Does this imply? Does the existence of this backdoor
0: imply um, that there on T two, T three, T four, these other systems, there might be something similar?
2: They didn't find any evidence okay. of an intentional backdoor in in, in T1. Uh, sorry, in, in T3. They did find vulnerabilities. They did find something odd as well that they couldn't quite put their finger on. And because of the vagueness around it, I won't really get into it. But what I would say is that there's room for more research at a minimum. And I should also say that there is, at
0: this point, a lot that we don't know because there's going to be a broader presentation, like you said at Black Hat, where some more information about like the process of how this was discovered will be kind of revealed, right? Is that the is that the plan?
2: Yeah, at the talk, they're going to go into much more technical detail about how exactly the backdoor and the other vulnerabilities work, um, just to give some insights into sort of the secrecy around this and the build up to that talk. These researchers reached out to me uh maybe a month ago something like that at this point i can't exactly remember um and on the black hat website it doesn't even say what the talk is about it says like redacted telecom talk which is very rare to see uh and that means oh okay they're doing something big and they can't even put it on the website despite they're going to talk about it they reach out to me and the and these other journalists and um we had to keep it under wraps for a very very long time initially there were going to be Two embargoes, the one that we did, and then another one for when the talk comes out this month uh, in Las Vegas, the Black Hat Security Conference. We ended up just doing the first one. We don't need to write two articles, and I don't think many people are going to either. But yes, there's going to be more technical information at the cybersecurity talk uh, in 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 a few days. And of course, you know, if you're a cybersecurity professional, that's of much much more interest to you. When it comes to us, where obviously our readers are very smart, they're very technically inclined, but they don't necessarily want to know the ins and outs of the cryptography. They want to know there's a backdoor in police radios. Like, okay, that, like, that's the important bit for, for us and our readers, you know? Yeah. Um, in
0: the the implication here, kind of walk me through the way you've, you put it in your article, is that um, this was not hard enough to discover that it is the, the 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 researchers are the first people to figure this out, right?
2: Um, I know there's nothing. Con- they don't know who else. Sorry. Well, just- oh sure. I mean, all I was going to say is that they they don't know who else has found this. Mm-hmm. But considering this is such a highly used and important piece of communications infrastructure, my personal opinion is that it would be very very unlikely if nation-states haven't at least poked around this. You right. know? Uh, and, of course, the standard was designed with national security agencies. Let's assume they're Western agencies, just for the sake of this discussion for the moment, to speculate a little bit. Um, I I would be very surprised if, if Russian or Chinese actors have not at least poked around this, considering it's been around here for 20 years. And it was perhaps even more important, maybe you know, 10, 15 years ago, something like that.
0: Has the company said that it's going to close this up or work on a new encryption? Like, what do you do if you're, you know, a law enforcement agency in Oslo that's using these and you need to close up this, this loophole other than just update your firmware? Or is that what you have to do?
2: Right. If you're on T3 and it's more the vulnerabilities you're worried about, you get the patches from your radio manufacturer and then you install them. Right. If you're on T1, which is the one with the back door, you got to buy some new radios you know like there there is not much you're going to be able to do because this is baked into the design it is not whoops we got a bit of code wrong it's like this is how the radio works and like it or don't you're going to have to um upgrade i will say that there is also like an optional add-on Offered with some of the radios for end to end encryption, which, you know, listeners will know that is when the data is encrypted sort of on the device itself before it's transmitted. And that is generally, typically a more robust way of communicating. So you could buy that add on if you wanted. And that's pretty common, you know, an extra security add on. The researchers didn't look into the end to end encryption. And as far as I know, nobody else has. So we don't know how good that is either. Uh, That's not to say it's bad or anything. We just don't know. But yes, if you don't want a backdoored TA1 radio, you should probably uh, go to Radio Shack or whatever, (laughs) what what that place was called, and and get some new gear. You know, I don't know. Radio Shack's not around anymore, right? Those are all gone. I know. I don't know. I'm just trying to make a reference that maybe people get, but I don't even understand it myself. I don't know where I would go buy a police radio, to be honest. Apart from these researchers game theirs on eBay, and that's how they did it to reverse engineer it.
0: I had friends that had some growing up, and there's like um, in the states you can buy like you can get apps that are police scanners. That that's like a whole other thing, uh, a whole other conversation. Um, so do, 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 uh, we'll know more soon at Black Hat. Uh I had another question, but it has fled my brain, so we're gonna to switch to the uh, other the, the follow-up to another story that you've been working on for a long time, and that we've talked about on the show, I believe several times. Um Anom, there's some Anom news. What briefly for people that are kind of tuning in for the first time, uh what is Anom and what's the update?
2: So Anom is an encrypted phone company for organized crime. This industry of underground phone companies is very popular. There's a company called Phantom Secure. There was one called Sky, one called EncroChat. And they're used by top-tier drug traffickers, weapon smugglers, assassins, that sort of thing. Anom was interesting because in June 2021, the FBI revealed that surprise, we've been running a nom the entire time and intercepting all of the messages. And it was the biggest law enforcement operation ever. Something like ten thousand police officers acted on the day of the takedown, um, and they arrested well over a thousand people. Not just not on that day, but then in the subsequent months and uh, weeks afterwards. The news is that defense attorneys for suspects that the Americans charged are trying to find out a key secret to the uh, Anom story and that is the identity of the country that helped root the messages um, for for the FBI that's the news here
0: so what are the what are the broader implications of that do you think that they'll they'll shake that loose how do you think this will play out?
2: Well, the reason that the defense team wants it, and it's a pretty reasonable standard question when it comes to the American justice system, is that, look, you have charged my client, the defendant, using messages um, intercepted as part of your NOM operation. For us to make sure that was done legally, it's not good enough for the FBI to just say it was done legally. We need to know the country that you got the data from under a Mutual Legal Assistance Treaty, an MLAT, and so then we can go verify and we can go check. Well, okay, it was in this country, and it was done under this law. Okay, that is that is legal, or maybe it turns out it's illegal, and obviously they would try to then get the evidence thrown out. Um, but they can't. They can't even do that initial step or that initial investigation without knowing uh, the country that provided the text messages here. So the defense teams are trying to get that. It's unclear whether they'll be um, successful or not. But the one parallel I would draw, or maybe a couple of parallels, is that we covered um, a different operation called Operation Pacifier, where the FBI took over a dark web child abuse website and they deployed a Tor Browser Zero Day to people who were visiting that website and they grabbed their IP address and they arrested all those people. Some very smart defense lawyers who I spoke to pushed the court to get the FBI to give them the code of the exploit. They're like, we need to see the code to verify it collected the information that you allege it collected on our defendants, Um, which, again, seems like a pretty reasonable thing in the American uh, justice system. Basically, the judge agreed, ordered the FBI to hand it over, and the FBI said, nah, we're not going to do that. We're just not even going to pursue this case now. Like They would rather lose... um, they, they would rather drop the charges and not charge that person than give over their tor-, tor browser zero day. Now, maybe that could be the same here in Anon. Maybe they would rather give up the case against these defendants than reveal this country. I don't know yet. We, we, we don't know how closely they want to guard this secret, um, but that's probably going to be the next stage of what's us finding out. The The U.S. government hasn't replied to the motion yet, but they should do soon.
0: It occurs to me there's probably a podcast episode in – just talking about the effect that the global war on terror and the rise of cybersecurity issues have had on the justice system and how um, the FBI and the the state department like prosecute these cases. Uh, Cause it is kind of fascinating that there are, there are secrets that they claim are so powerful that they would rather keep the secrets than charge the criminals, and that's kind of that's pretty fascinating to me. Um, maybe that's something yeah, we have. I mean, the, Sorry, go ahead.
2: The other parallel, the other parallel is the use of stingrays, which is you know these little boxes that sweep up your text messages, your cell phone's location. In many cases now, I've honestly lost track just because it was a while ago and it was happening so much that. Uh, U.S. authorities were dropping cases because they were like, we don't want to hand over information about stingrays, something to that effect. So this is, I wouldn't say it's common in American justice, but as more and more sophisticated surveillance technologies are used, you see this issue more and more to the point where in that Tor Browser Zero Day Dark web case. We reported at the time that the FBI actually retroactively classified the exploit, as in it entered the realm of the intelligence community and it became, you know, literally a secret. It, it, it was classified, and then you have all these sorts of implications of wait, so now you're doing ordinary criminal prosecutions on something that's classified. That's a whole other can of worms, you know. And I bring that up because you bring up the war on terror as well.
0: Yeah. it's kind of fascinating because it's, I guess it just depends on, there's a lot of complicated issues. Like it depends on how good the defense's lawyer is. It depends on, you know, how bad they, the, the power in charge wants to prosecute the criminal, how bad the crime is. I would like to know like where the line is when they would like, how bad does the thing have to be? How bad does the crime have to be? The alleged crime for them to finally give up the secret about how they caught the criminal, you know? Maybe maybe we'll get that story down the line. Maybe we should have Kim on to ask those questions. Actually, it sounds like that might be a good episode. Uh, Joseph Cox, I'm going to let you go. What else are you working on? Sure. Uh,
2: same old stuff: criminals, hackers, data. You know, we'll see. We're, We're having not, a very Nothing concrete yet.
0: It's a very August, very August mood. Uh, it's the worst month of the year, personally. I think. Everyone's brain slows down. I think the Europeans have it right. You should just take the whole month off and not think about things too much. Uh, But what you should do throughout the month of August is continue to tune into cyber. Uh, We are recording the show live. If you don't know, we're at twitch.tv forward slash vice. 11 a.m. on Friday is when we go live and when we record these shows. Uh, Please tune in next week. And and by the way, I also have another show that I do called Angry Planet. Type that into wherever you look for podcasts uh, and you'll see it crop up. I've got something dropping about the science of nuclear weapons soon. Uh, And then a little bit about Ukrainian genocide. So that's exciting. Um, Also, for people that are wondering, yes, I'm still working on getting the Downwinders to come on uh, the show. Hopefully that can happen next week or maybe the week after. I'm still talking to them, figuring out logistics, that kind of thing. Uh, Joseph, Becky, thank you both for coming on and I will see y'all next time. Planning for your next trip, elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more